Toho Yaro, a Japanese movie club podcast. I'm your host for this month's episode, Alex Kazanis. And with me, as always, are our co-hosts, Joey Weiser. Hey, hey. And Scott Dryman. Hello, everybody. All right. And today uh, we're going to talk about a movie that we watched called Sharkskin Man and Peach Hip Girl, a 1999 uh, movie by Katsuhito Ishii. Also known in Japan as Samehara Otoko to Momujiri Ona. Um, it's based off of a manga by Minetaro Mochizuki, uh, which was um, uh, originally called Big Wheel, uh, Daishari, that was the name of the manga, uh, serialized in Mr. Magazine around 1993. And uh, the title, the Shakespeare Peach Hip Girl title, wasn't uh, adopted until the comic was published as its uh, very own book. So. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, now, I remember watching this movie, oh, God, over a decade ago, um, 12, 12, 13 years ago, probably. Um, and uh, it was right after I saw Ichi the Killer, I think, because uh, uh, Tatanabu Asano was in that as well. Uh, Tatanabu Asano. And he, um, and he struck me as a very, uh, very interesting guy. So I figured that this movie was probably going to be a lot of fun. So um, that was the last. That was probably the last time I watched it, actually. Mm-hmm. So uh, re- revisiting it was interesting. Uh, yeah, I had pretty much the same experience of watching Ichi the Killer, liking Tadanobu Asano, and then seeing him on the cover <coughs> of this. Uh, I do not did not remember much from the first time I watched it. I don't know if it was because I was also doing something else while I was on, or if it just happened to not leave a mark on me but rewatching it was uh was an interesting experience for me too right and i had not seen it before um i'd seen it advertised on uh netflix back when the i was using the dvd plan and was interested in it because of the interesting title and cool looking cover but this is my first time seeing it awesome great uh well i guess we'll get right into it uh so uh, the director, Katsuhito Ishii, um, he has directed a fair amount of movies. Um, most notably, uh, these are the movies that, uh, most notably some movies that we are going to be eventually covering on the podcast that are on our big list. Uh, the Taste of Tea, which I've seen before, uh, Funky Forest, and uh, 1998 Scamera. Oh, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yeah, 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 that... Did he do all three? I'm curious. There's a uh, there's a '90s like Gamera trilogy that's really excellent. It just says 1998. So, okay. Uh, um, he's also notable for uh, the animes Trava Fist Planet and Redline. Oh, ah, cool. Yeah, I like this guy's work. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, this movie feels very anime, uh, <laughs> in a lot of different ways, which we'll touch on in a bit. Uh, the uh, cast, uh, we talked about uh, Tadanobu Asano a little bit um, in previous episodes because uh, he was in uh, the 2003 Zatoichi. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> American viewers might also know him as uh, Hogan in Thor and the sequel. Uh, and uh, as mentioned, he was Kakihara in Ichi the Killer, which led me to uh, watch this movie uh, back back in the day. Uh, it should also be, uh, I should also mention 
uh, in addition to his various films, I don't think we touched on this last time, but <laughs> he played uh, uh, Inspector Zenigata in the live-action Lupin movie a couple years oh. ago. Oh, interesting. Oh, man. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have seen that. That's a weird movie, um, but I did not pick him out. That's that's really interesting. Did, did Mike direct that one? Because that mm, sounds like it would no. be a bizarrely. No, but uh, the one thing I can... <laughs> that's weird about that movie is like half of it is in English uh, with characters who's not necessarily fluent speaking English so it's a, it's a I, uh, that charm to it <laughs> uh, I think it's it, that one's worth checking out if you like Asano's work he, his performance is good and I enjoyed the movie as weird as it is uh, I, I'd also like to correct I said uh, Ishii was responsible for Redline he wrote the screenplay he did not direct it mm. ah okay I, I still think that, yeah, you can feel that, though. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Next up on our cast list is uh, Sie Kohinata. Um, she hasn't done a whole hell of a lot. Uh, most recently, she was in, in the live-action Cutie Honey movie. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'm only familiar with Cutie Honey uh, as far as I just know that it's an, uh, an anime. Yeah. So... Uh, so, uh, playing Boss Tanaka, or not Tanaka, sorry, playing Boss Tanuki, <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> a funny name for, uh, for a Yakuza guy, uh, is uh, Itoku Kishibi. And he's been in a crap ton of stuff, um, a lot of TV movies, uh, but we've seen him already in the 2003 Zatoichi as uh, Boss Ginzo. Mm-hmm. And he also plays a part in 13 Assassins as well. Uh, playing Mitsuru is uh, Shingo Tsurumi. Uh, I love this character. Uh, we'll get into that. Um, but he was uh, he was in Shin Godzilla as Yajima, joint staff deputy. Uh, from what I've I can tell, that movie has a ton of people in it. Yeah. Uh, he played the character Chen in Dead or Alive, which we've covered, and uh, he was a recurring character in Kamen Rider Forze. Hmm. Uh, uh, com- an excellent Kamen Rider. That's what I've heard from everybody <laughs> who enjoys Kamen Rider. Like that's the one to that's the one to watch. Yeah. And uh, making his third appearance on uh, a, in a Toho Yara movie is Susumu Terajima, uh, frequent Kitano collaborator. Uh, he's been in most of his movies. Uh, we saw him in Dead or Alive. Uh, he's also in Ichi the Killer, and he appears in other Ishii films, uh, Funky Forest and The Taste of Tea. Um, I'm looking. I'm really looking forward to seeing Funky Forest at some point. Yeah, that and The Taste of Tea. Um, I haven't seen either of those, but they've been on kind of my mental list for a long time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So we will talk about the movie now. (laughs) Uh, Now that we've got that out of the way. Um, So uh, we open in a uh, nondescript mountain location in Japan. there is uh, at the Hotel Symphonia. Uh, there is a, uh, di- a young young girl Toshiko, um, who ends up. Uh, she's on the phone with with this guy who is her uncle. Um, it's it's not explicitly stated that it's her uncle, but uh, she calls him Oji uh, San. And uh, from all the uh, stuff I've read, it is supposed to be his her her uncle, okay. um, who manages the hotel. Uh, she tells him he's. She's quitting. Uh, he took her savings, uh, and in the middle of uh, this phone call, 
uh, she's at the bank and there's a bank robbery happening. Uh, my favorite thing about this scene is everybody's completely vacant looks. It's just very, it's almost like the most polite bank robbery you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the guys he's, he's got, uh, he's wearing all black, um, and he has a little, <laughs> a little, uh, tape recorder, uh, that just keeps saying money, please over and over. Money, please. And uh <laughs> Yeah, I love that. That seems like it seems like it's maybe a little too early for like digital things that you could type in and have them speak. So it almost sounds like this would be from like a, a learn English uh tape or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh while this is happening, uh a bank patron just kind of casually gets shot. Nobody really reacts to it at all. Um and uh after after this happens, uh, the title sequence happens, and the title sequence is awesome. Uh, it's it's very frantic. Uh, it introduces basically all the characters, uh, regardless of how ancillary they might be. But it's incredibly stylistic. Um, I think it I think it also might be a uh, a a product placement bit for all the all the um all the Takeo uh Kyuchi designer wear that's in the movie. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, like everybody in the movie is wearing uh like uh, clothes from this guy, this designer. Yeah, I um, think it's definitely like an indication of like that sort of thing that happens when something's adapted from like a comic or something like that where it's like maybe banking on a lot of people being fans of these characters and wanting to like see them with the spotlight on them like right off the bat. It's possible. Um, um, I I actually read the manga, and we can get into this later. But it is oh, completely unrelated to the manga. This is just a oh. stylistic choice. Hmm. Yeah, he. Uh, but yeah, the the whole thing is done like uh, they're doing a a like a modern magazine photo shoot for each of these characters against a backdrop. Yeah, which I think maybe speaks more to what Alex was saying about the designer wear. Yeah. So uh, Toshiko gets a call from her creepy uncle as she lowers a rope out of her window. Um, so she she escapes that way. Uh, she tells him that... Uh, oh, uh, earlier, I guess, she told him that she was going to the post office. Um, and, uh, yeah, she tells him she's going to the post office and she lowers a rope out of the window to basically leave. Um, meanwhile, we're in the car and we're introduced to uh, Boss Tanuki, and there's this really <laughs> what a quirky character. Uh, <laughs> he loves collecting uh, these enamel posters uh, featuring Omura Khan. Uh, the one that he's looking for in particular, I remember uh, just marking this down: Ogon Bato, uh, Golden Bat, uh, and Attack Number One. I think those are the two mm-hmm. that he uh, that he really wanted. He collects all these enamel posters, and he goes under the spiel about how you can't just find them anywhere. Uh, you have to kind of go into these backwoodsy places to find them, and uh, during this entire spiel, he freaks out his driver, Sarimachi, um, and is just kind of playing with his knife. <laughs> it's, yeah, because I think it's like, it seems like such a dorky thing that the driver kind of wants to laugh, but is scared to laugh, is the way I was interpreting it. Yeah, he's like, don't laugh, these, this is a serious thing. Like, these, you think <laughs> that you can just find these anywhere? Like, is this movie's full of interesting bits like this. Uh, so, uh, meanwhile, in the woods, uh, in like a little cabin, 
uh, Taranobu's character, Samihara, is uh, he's uh, well banging ladies. <laughs> um, yeah, um, banging a bunch of ladies, uh, and he starts uh, running down the road in his underwear. <laughs> um, <laughs> he is basically erupted, uh, interrupted uh, post coitus by uh, by hitmen. I'm not sure why yet, uh, but basically they they want to um, they want to kill him because he stole money. That's that's basically the the gist of it. Uh, and while this is happening, uh, so Tanaki is uh, chasing after Samahad at this point in in the car. Uh, Sorry, Machi's driving, and it crashes. It ends up. Uh, having a collision with Toshiko's car, which is a little yellow Lupin-esque number. Uh, and uh, she's knocked unconscious by the uh, by the crash. Samihara is completely fine, though, um, and he basically takes off with Toshiko in her own car. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the rest of the gang come uh, to, to find Tainuki and Sorimachi, who are both alive, um, and, uh, <laughs> there's this really fun smash cut where he gets the enamel poster, uh, after Tanaki reminds him, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's just like, it just cuts to him immediately having the poster. Uh, so the gang comes and this guy, Tani, uh, who is, uh, Tanaki's son, I believe, uh, lifts the car by himself in the midst of the gang trying to lift, like they're trying to flip over the car, uh, as a group. Hiro Mitsuru uh, is this guy who's wearing uh, a whole... So he's got this white getup, right? And I love the way he looks. He looks like he's straight out of an anime. He's okay. Like his hair and the feathers on his jacket are basically like... They kind of match. Uh, and he's got weird quirks to him. He's got this cool gun gun lighter that he, uh, that he flips around every once in a while. And... Uh, and uh, he, I guess, is their tracker because he has a ridiculous sense of smell. Um, yeah. Yeah, and he's talking about uh, things stinking all the time. And uh, there's this bit where he plays a Russian roulette by himself. Uh, I guess to, I guess to emphasize the fact that this guy is crazy. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, with only one bullet removed, I might add, just right. show how how lucky and badass he is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, super luck powers as well as the super smell powers. Yeah. Um, so uh, they go after uh, Samehara and they corner uh, Samehara and Toshiko in a cabin. Um, Samehara shoots Suramachi in the head, so that's the end of him. Uh, Mitsuru runs into the forest and uh, he the way he runs is I think the camera's sped up a little bit, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, or the shots are sped up. Um, and uh, as he runs into the forest, he keeps running into uh, members of the Yakuza gang that Samihara has already shot on his way through. Uh, and Toshiko, since she grew up in the area, uh, notices a shortcut that she used to take when she was little. Um, while Mitsuru is uh, on their tail, he stops at, at a brook. And refuses to cross it because he hates water, and gets into a 
ridiculous uh, argument with Tanuki over the radio. Uh, <laughs> what was the line? Uh, You're afraid of water. What are you, a baby? <laughs> what kind of baby has pubic hair? And uh, apparently he doesn't <laughs> want to get into the water because he has bulletproof clothes, which is okay. Uh, and uh, they'll warp if he um, if he gets them wet. Yeah, that sounds so, like an excuse to me. It sounds like... Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's such... It's such a bullshit excuse, but at this point in the movie, I'm like, oh, okay. We, <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> yeah, it felt like a weird, like, conflating of his, like, his dog, his nose thing makes me think of a dog, but dogs love getting in the water, so that part almost made me feel like he was kind of like a cat or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, while they're having this conversation, uh, the radio conversation is intercepted by Samihara, Um Turns out he stole 100 million yen and kind of ran away with it. And uh, as they're as they're ta- as they're talking over the radio, uh, literally every single gang member is on the on the frequency at this point. At which point, Samihara exposes the fact that ta- uh, Tanuki wears a toupee, and uh, <laughs> and that's the first thing in this movie that we see that sets Tanuki off. Uh, he gets super pissed about it. Um, so, all right. So uh, Toshiko and somehow to have a conversation and she says she never wants to go back to that place that the hotel um because her, her creepy ass uncle's there uh who who by the way is uh <laughs> is named sonizaki but from this point on i'm going to call him creepy uncle because that works. Uh, yeah because i don't think his, his name is actually explicitly said in the movie yeah uh, i don't recall in, yeah in my notes i have it as see you creepy uncle <laughs> <laughs> so uh somehow agrees that yeah i'll just uh, you know, run away with me. We'll we'll be fine. Um, the Yakuza gang over the course of the film have a series of recurring conversations that um, I found really hard to track, uh, specifically about the yoga magazine. Oh yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, I didn't quite get that. Yeah, yoga friend. I just made a note in my. Yeah. Yeah, it's like he's trying to remember the title of a book or a magazine or something, and then kind of yeah. throughout the movie, he's they keep being like, uh, a magazine or book or whatever wouldn't be titled this; it would be titled that or whatever. Yeah, it's like a cultural or language joke that was over our heads, maybe. Yeah, There's it's like a, a Tarantino-esque thing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. There's a lot of of Tarantino influence in this film, and that whole scene of them just. Uh, sitting around in a car swapping stories and talking about mundane stuff seems yeah. like something borrowed directly from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you there. Um, okay. Uh, back to, uh, back to the hotel. Uh, so that the gang also is using the hotel as their base of operations at this point. And Mitsuru is outside, um, playing game boy. And he's uh, <laughs> he intercepts this man who tries to walk past him, uh, kind of looks at him playing a game, and uh, this man is named Yamada, and Yamada is the weirdest character in this movie. I uh, went on quite a journey with Yamada, which I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, let's. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> so Yamada, um, a unibrowed a unibrowed character who. Who explicitly states to Mitsuru, "I hate you," uh, which is sort of a recurring thing that he does. In his weird frog-like voice. Yes, uh, his voice. God, I, I remember when I first watched this movie, I was like blown away by this character. Um, 
like everything that he does like kept me watching the movie basically uh, I'd like it, to note that the actor also voices the uh, the frog assistant in uh, Spirited Away. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't know that. I, did, I I tried looking his actor up, and it didn't appear that he's done anything else. Um, hmm. uh, well, at least on IMDb. Uh, yeah, I found he's been in a good number of, of things. Nothing that jumped out at me, though. Right. So... Uh, Creepy Uncle hires Yamada to find uh, Toshiko. Um, these two have known each other since, I don't know, they, they appear to be very old friends because uh, Yamada makes a comment about how he's known Toshiko since she was very little. Um, but also complains uh, complains in a very odd manner about having, having to find her. Uh, there's this particular scene where he cracks his back a million times uh, and kind of makes a make a makes a thing out of it. Uh, eventually, creepy uncle uh, convinces him to to find her. You know, he'll I'll, I'll pay you. It'll be fine. Um, meanwhile, uh, Samihara finds uh, they they uh, they're in the safe house. Samihara and uh, Toshiko. And she's asleep in the tub, and he remembers what she said about never wanting to return um, to the hotel. He takes her out of the tub, puts her in bed, and she wakes up, and she seems pretty pretty all right um, about about this whole like uh, skipping town with this guy I just met thing. Uh, so they <laughs> this is a, a super good scene. Um, they end up stealing a uh, eighty one. Corvette Stingray, a black eighty-one Corvette Stingray belonging to a uh, a guy and a schoolgirl that I'm presuming that he's banging. Uh, there is a series of of thwacks, uh, a lot of smash cuts of these guys beating, uh, of uh, this guy getting beaten, his car getting stolen, and then uh, Mitsuru and uh, and gang coming to find uh, find them at the hotel, tracking them. Uh, another thwack, and then a smash cut to uh, that same guy uh, beat up again. Like they're, I guess they extract information from this from this guy. Yeah, that's a, a really funny sequence. And there's a lot of these like smash cuts around uh, violence, I guess, because they didn't have an actual like fight choreographer or anything. So this gets used a lot in a lot of places, and I think this is the most effective it gets used because it's clear what's going on, and the comedy beats are really good. Yeah. Uh, so Yamada is chasing is now in the woods with a with a you know surveillance gear uh, like a one of those high powered microphones to try and uh, try and suss out uh, his his quarry so to speak. So uh, <laughs> Yamada ends up finding uh, Samehara and Toshiko by accident. They stop for um, they stop at a rest stop, and uh, Yamada. F- um, <laughs> Yamada sneaks after Samehara in the bathroom, and um, after people leave, he pulls out the service sign, or the the out of service sign, so people can't come into the bathroom. And he has his gun trained on a door, and he's about to draw his gun when a salary man comes out of the stall, <laughs> which which makes for a kind of comedic thing. Um, he ends up shooting uh, the stall in which Samehara is inside, um, and as he's waiting to see what what's going to happen. Uh, Samehara kicks the door into Yamada, 
Um, turns out the bullets did not go through the door at all. Uh, they were just barely barely stopped by by the steel. Uh, so Samahara at this point has Yamada at gunpoint, um, and uh, it appears he bloodied his nose when the door hit him. So he cleans his nose for him, and uh, <laughs> Yamada says over and over, I like you. Uh, Samahara is amused by this, and he's like, what's your deal? You're, you're not cut out for this kind of thing. Uh, say what? Uh, sing a song, and don't come out until you do. Um, he sings a song called Dona Dona. Um, and I meant to look this up, but I didn't. So, <laughs> whoops. Uh, this is the scene that I remember the most from when I first watched it. Um, when he gets out of the bathroom, uh, gets out of the stall, he finishes singing his song, and two other guys come into the bathroom to use it. Uh, this is a, he makes a series of Bugs Bunny-esque beats, where he like kind of moves over, like shuffles over, makes a face, shoots like he kind of uh he shoots one of the bathroom patrons in the foot uh by moving his body yeah he never takes his gun out of his pocket so they don't even know what happened yeah and there's this amazing delayed reaction like (laughs) like like a wily coyote type type uh type sequence um i couldn't stop laughing (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that Uh, whole bathroom sequence i think is very memorable you know having I watched this a week or two ago, like a week ago, something like that, and it's definitely one of the freshest scenes in my memory. Yeah. Uh, so he reports back to Creepy Uncle, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, I'm going back home. I don't, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, you know, I don't want to like." So, so the reason that uh, Creepy Uncle wanted, well, he, one, he wanted to get Toshiko back, but two. Uh, because Sama had answered uh, her phone when uh, when Creepy Uncle called her. Uh, he assumed that, oh, she's with a guy, and I should be the only guy that has her. So. I'd like to note that uh, when when he asks him, like, why didn't you do it, he, he refuses to say anything, and then he asks uh, Yamada if he's in love, which he kind of demurs about. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. like he's Yamada has a crush on Samahada now. Yeah. It's 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 pretty evident at that point. Um, so uh, uh, Toshiko and Samihara go to meet uh, meet some uh, meet a friend of his. Uh, which this is a guy who has ties with the gang, but I think got out. I believe, uh, I, and I don't remember his name. He seems like um, just a separate part of the criminal underworld. Yeah, like this is a guy that you you go to to um, if you want to like disappear. This is the guy to go to. Uh, very flamboyant gentleman. He wears this really garish green jacket, and he's always he's always snapping whenever he says stuff. It's very, uh, it's a very anime style quirk. I think. Yeah, like I like that snapping quirk a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's this great makeover montage where he's doing up her hair. He's doing up Toshiko's hair, and at the same time, uh, Samihara tries on uh, different clothes. I don't think he tries on enough clothes for the scene to completely work for me, because uh, there's that rule of threes that they didn't hit. Uh, first, he tries on this see-through thing, this like see-through jacket, and uh, and he ends up choosing the shark skin jacket instead. Um, really, I think this is a product placement bit for um, for the TK brand of of clothing. That's funny. Uh, yeah, but I mean, that's the whole thing about this guy is that like not only can he get you those sort of like papers to change your identity or get out of the country or something, he He's really into the makeover aspect of it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I really love the bit. He, uh, there's not a third like joke costume, but he first comes out in these like blue pajama looking things and then the see through <laughs> one. And after he comes out looking all slick with the shark skin stuff, uh, he's like, well, I like the, the see through one better. It's a little pouty. It's <laughs> real good. Yeah. To yeah. So, uh, so he gives them new passports as well. Um, and, uh, she's, uh, Toshiko's got on, a uh, a, a, she looks completely different at this point. Beforehand, she was, you know, she had... It, it's, it was like a uh, she's all that type transformation. We're like, oh, you were wearing glasses and your hair up before, but now you're not. Uh, <laughs> and we're giving you a... And we're giving her a fur coat, because why not? Um, either way, they look they look cool as hell. Um, uh, and uh, he gives them new passports, new identities, so they can just kind of leave. Um, but the thing is this. Uh, <laughs> none of that stuff comes cheap. Uh, as a matter of fact, he requires a whole mess of money. Uh, it turns out word word got around that Samihara was uh, going around with a woman. It even got back to him, and he needs money. Uh, <laughs> he says, "I'm a chair collector. Like, what can I do? What can I? How can I? Am I supposed to get chairs if I don't have money? Like, it's <laughs> an, another weird quirk that he added to his character that I love. Uh, that this guy is just like obsessed with collecting chairs. Uh, <laughs> he very well may be the most interesting character in the movie. Yeah, there's um, just like a pile of chairs. Like, yeah." I think he makes note that he doesn't have room for them all. <laughs> yeah, he's he's yeah. like, I'm moving. And I don't have anywhere to put all these. Yeah. Uh, so Samehara uh, says, well, if you want money, fine. I'll be back in two hours. I can get money. Um, so he leaves. Um, in the meantime, uh, so uh, a long, a pretty long scene uh, sequence takes place um, outside of the safe house. Uh, Samehara leaves. Uh, Yamada comes, and there is a guy fishing. Uh, off of this pier, um, and uh, as Yamada is looking at the door, uh, the, the guy fishing is like, "What are you doing?" And a uh, smash cut to uh, Yamada explained everything that literally happened in his in his adventure, uh, and uh, the guy fishing is like, "Oh well, I I think you should you should stay out of this. This <laughs> this isn't this doesn't seem like a, a good idea." And then. And then he kind of spills his gut saying, oh, my wife left me and da 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 It's, <laughs> it's, it's a very interesting scene that uh, I, I kind of love scenes like this where it's sort of out of left field, but it's very human. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they kind of hang out a little bit. And they both sort of pass out. Uh, so after uh, Yamada and the fishing guy kind of pass out, we still, uh, we see Sawada pull up in his car. Um uh, he walks in and he comes out with Toshiko and Yamada chases after him on foot. Uh, meanwhile, Samehara returns to the safe house and uh, has his uh, his buddy, whom, whom I will call Snaps, at gunpoint. <laughs> uh, uh, he made, turns out he made a deal with Sawada. Um, you know, I love with you. I, you know, I made a deal with Sawada. The girl's fine, but he's, you know, he's going to take the girl, but he's going to leave you out of it. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, Yamada is tailing Sawada in his little dinky white car, um, and uh, Samehara is also following the, the lot of them. Um, he doesn't kill Snaps, by the way. He's fine. Uh, so even uh, even more shooting the shit about common writer figurines and Yoga Friend magazine. Um, <laughs> 
and then we're we're back to uh then we're back to Sawada and uh and Toshiko in the car and uh he has a, like a little bit of a, a vision like a little bit of a flash and then he turns the car around parks in the woods as I can't do it um Yamada is is there too Yamada's uh, followed them all and uh it seems that Sawada is impressed by the majesty of nature. Uh, that's what it looks like. Um, he lets Momo go. Uh, the guards... Uh, so the guards are... Um, they kind of get shit for, for, not, <laughs> uh, for not doing anything. Uh, it turns out Sawada has disappeared. Uh, we, have, we have no idea where he is. Um, meanwhile, uh, Samehada comes to the hotel. And they get the drop on him and really kick his ass. Uh, so Yamada uh, ends up returning with Toshiko after she leaves uh, or some, uh, Sawada's car. After she leaves Sawada's car, uh, he, he kidnaps her to take her to Creepy Uncle. Uh, luck, uh, I, was, I put in my notes, luckily both Toshiko and Samehada are in the same place, coincidentally. Um, so she gets knocked out. And Creepy Uncle tells Yamada to leave. And at that point, Yamada uh, tells uh, Creepy Uncle that he hates him. Uh, so, uh, Samehara is tied up, and here comes Tanuki, um, who has a brief dialogue with, with, uh, with Samehara about the money, and then uh, Samehara gets beaten by uh, one of the henchmen who has a baseball bat. Creepy Uncle at this point uh, is in a in a room that has bra and panties on the wall, and he is also wearing a bra, and he is trying to sexually assault Toshiko. Uh, boo. Boo earns, yes. Uh, Creepy Uncle lives up to his name. Uh, Yamada, however, uh, cuts the power and has a really awesome vision of gunning down uh, the Yakuza gang. <laughs> and he, using night vision goggles. Using night vision goggles, which he also has. Um while he's thinking of this and just trying to carry out his plan, he doesn't stop giggling. Uh, <laughs> and um, he actually does end up shooting most of them down in the hotel lobby. Um, he uh, At this point, we find out that Mitsuru's clothes are not bulletproof. Uh, he gets knives thrown at him um, from Tanuki and shot from the other uh, from the other gang members. Well, we should note that when he actually goes out into the lobby to shoot everybody, the lights are still on out there. That's right, yeah. yeah. Which And everybody it's is just of kind like, of staring at him confused, and then they all start shooting at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A very, like, tragic, comedic uh, moment where it's like, oh, my God, just seeing a dude kind of creep around uh, in broad daylight with night vision goggles is uh, funny but upsetting because you know that Things are not going his way. No. Yeah, it turns out he only cut the power to the secret sex room, which also good. Um, yeah. So uh, as this gunfight is going on, like he has a couple knives in him and he's got a couple gun gun wounds, but he is still firing uh, from behind the counter. But the baseball, the guy with the baseball bat is underneath uh, like the front of the lobby's desk and he pulls a katana out from the bat. So is a hidden katana. I thought that was kind of neat. And um, as he gets up, he stabs Yamada, but is also shot at the same time. So at this point, uh, the gang has taken heavy casualties. Um, there's only a few of them left. 
and uh, creepy uncle uh, tries to find a flashlight so he can uh, continue to sexually assault Toshiko. Um, but while he's doing so, he gets a boombox to the head, courtesy of Toshiko herself. Um, okay. Yeah, she 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 really gets the drop on him. Uh, so she escapes. Um, Mitsuru's sister, uh, who I forgot to mention earlier, but she doesn't really do much except for kind of stand around smoking a cigarette. Um, comes downstairs to find her brother dead. Uh, and she takes his cool lighter, lights one up, and um, when one of the gang members who is dying says call an ambulance, she throws the cigarette back at him. And that's the end of that scene. Uh, so Tanuki and his uh, and his son Tani go into the woods to find Samihara. Uh, Samihara shoots uh, Tani, um, shoots another gang member, and um, Tanuki finds eventually finds Samihara uh, exhausted and dying because um, he's he's been shot up as well and beaten to death, uh, resting in front of a tree. Has my gunpoint. Um, Toshiko comes. Uh, out of nowhere, points a gun at at Tanuki. Um, then Samehara points a gun at Tanuki, <laughs> and Tanuki points his knife uh, at at Momo. Or he Tanuki points his knife at uh, Toshko. So at this point, we have Samehara on the ground pointing a gun at Tanuki, uh, who is pointing a gun at both. At, he's pointing a gun at Samehara and has Toshko by knife point. And Toshiko has Tanuki at gunpoint, so it's a weird Mexican standoff situation, almost. Uh, I don't know what I, you would call this. Uh, meanwhile, Creepy Uncle isn't dead yet. Uh, he follows them all into the forest, uh, and he, the first person he sees is Tanuki, and he calls him Four Eyes, uh, which distracts him, because uh, he sees that he sees that Toshiko's in danger. Uh, he has got a sniper rifle. He tries shooting Tanuki, um, but instead shoots Samihara, who, uh, due to reflex, shoots Tanuki. Uh, and um, I think Creepy Uncle gets shot as well, right? Yeah, uh, Tanuki gets shot, or uh, he shoots uh, Samihara. Samihara shoots Tanuki. Tanuki shoots. The uncle and i think the uncle shoots tanuki one more time yeah that's right and then the two of them both fall over <laughs> yeah uh so as samihara is um is dying uh Toshiko looks down and she realizes uh she uh that it was him that got shot at the robbery with sawada at the bank uh at the um the bank um and uh that's when the movie kind of ends and then they have a separate a separate bit uh, that's called uh, Sawada and God. Yeah, um, it's got its own title card. And, yeah. And yeah, and somehow to getting shot was all a ruse to rob the bank because he's just pretending to be shot and laying there with a blood pack. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, I'd like to elaborate that that final scene a little more. The he, he had a dream where he was seated in front of God who told him that you will help both of them. And he didn't really know what it meant until he got in the situation and decided to, uh, that it meant, uh, uh, Samihara and uh, Toshiko. But then once she leaves the car, he sits there for a minute, is about to light a cigarette. And then he remembers that she is the one from the bank robbery. And then the film. Yeah. Ends. A great, like final realization moment. Yeah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> 
yeah, there's there's some uh, kind of mid credit to post credit stuff where uh, Sawada and Samehara are in the car, basically kind of shooting the shit, and they were both in on this together. Um, I love how buddy buddy they are. I kind of wish, like, I kind of would have seen an entire movie just based on the two of them. So, uh, what do y'all think? Uh, I liked it. Um, this is kind of uh, belongs in a sort of strange genre that I, I call a murder comedy <laughs> that I feel like yeah. you see in not just Japanese films. A lot of American films uh, kind of come to mind, but where it, it's, it's a tough one to make it work because it's basically just introduce a bunch of interesting characters and then eventually kill almost all of them off. And so it has this weird... Uh, tone where it's kind of like, look at all these wacky killers, you know, mm-hmm. like um, strange assassins and whatever. And then it's like, oh, but actually, murder is very upsetting. And so then you just like see them <laughs> kill kill each other mm-hmm. and stuff. But I feel like this one strikes a good tone, uh, kind of throughout the whole thing. Um, and I really love that moment at the end uh, where we kind of put everything together. Um. With those, with the three characters, yeah. uh, how they're all connected and stuff, and I feel like that gives you a nice, you know, aha moment uh, to to go off on being like, oh yeah, that was cool, you know. I uh, I think on the balance, I did not enjoy the movie. There's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff in it that I really like, but uh, there's a lot of wasted opportunities because they set up all these wacky characters and then so few of them actually get to do anything. Uh, but my major problem is the pacing in this film where some of it is like really hyperactive with a lot of frenetic cuts that don't always make sense, which I, this is like the most Western style Japanese movie I may have ever seen. Cause it seems mm-hmm. like hot off the nineties Tarantino boom with yeah, a lot definitely. of the same sensibilities uh, from that kind of style of filmmaking that was coming out of America at the time. And, and very like, fast and experimental but then he also goes into these like weird slow twin peaks-esque scenes and some of the staging like the staging in the hotel uh where it's just these like big flat block shots uh are really neat but there's so many points in the movie where like when uh momojiro or i mean not momojiro <laughs> i'm doing it now too uh when uh Samehada's in the hotel room like messing with the tv or a couple other scenes where like just nothing is going on and I can't suss out like the meaning of this scene. It just really kills the pacing for me. It feels like it's way too long. I could, I could see that. Yeah. Some of the pacing is a little weird, but um, I, on the whole, I think that's why it really spoke to me like 12 years ago. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Tarantino's stuff. Um, but I do think that in, in that regard, uh, well, depending on the movie, when Tarantino introduces a character, he usually does something cool with them. Uh, usually. Uh, yeah, I I think I enjoyed it. I think I understood it more on my, on this, this time through. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know if I enjoyed it as much as I did 12 years ago. Um, but I, d- yeah. I did remember the bathroom scene, though, and I remember laughing at that like a whole lot and rewinding it back then and yeah. <laughs> uh and i did the same exact thing this time too it was <laughs> it was sort of like oh i forgot about this that's that's that yeah this this god yamada what a character <laughs> yeah I, I wanted to talk about yamada i i i'm 
conflicted with him at when I when he first showed up, I hated him. Like I could not stand him. Like I, um, at first one of the things I didn't understand was I didn't understand that he was a gay character. I just thought he had a bunch of sort of like inexplicable weird quirks that I found annoying. Like he was just a weirdo. Yeah, but it was kind of like a weirdo in ways that I couldn't understand where it was coming from, and it was just sort of generally annoying to me, you know? And so I was like, ugh, I don't know, but I don't like this guy. And in that bathroom scene, I actually was kind of just being like, okay, please kill this guy so we can move on. Uh, (laughs) But then that's where I realized that what was going on with his character, especially in that phone call afterwards, was that he was gay, and that kind of made me even more upset because a lot of this sort of, like, uh, you know, his characterization of being, like, sort of childlike and sort of perverse kind of comes from that uh, perspective of seeing homosexuality as more of, like, a mental defect, you know? And I just really, like, don't like that, <laughs> obviously. But then as the film goes on, he becomes more sympathetic and, and and eventually somewhat heroic. And in those moments, I actually liked him a lot. And was kind of sad, found myself eventually sad to see him go, you know, sad to see him die and, and kind of like happy for his triumph. Uh, so, you know, I don't, I'm not very happy with a lot of his characterization, but like in the end, the movie did make me feel for him. You know? yeah, yeah, he's shockingly complex and and it's the the weirdness being tied to him being gay is real bad and problematic, but the he, the way he's got this like, arc where he actually like gets this crush on Samihara and is an actual good judge of character and I guess so is Samihara because he lets him live instead of he doesn't even like do anything to him he's just like okay I'm gonna leave now you stay here mm-hmm. and then like that's gets reward that kindness gets rewarded later in the movie when he realizes like these are bad people and he's going to like uh, protect his crush, I guess. It's it's just, it's like I said, it's problematic and bizarre, but there's good aspects to it, and he's very interesting, and I think the payoff of that final scene is really good. Mm-hmm. Is he in the manga? Uh, no, so that's the, the next thing we can talk about. Uh, the So when the, uh, watching the, the opening sequence where all these, like, very distinct characters that have like specific weapons and gimmicks like start showing up, you know, and I knew this was based on a manga. I was like, Oh, these must be like all like characters from the manga because it is very like anime trope type things. And then after watching the movie this time, I went and, and found the manga and read it. It is not like that at all. It is, uh, it's, it's still kind of madcap, um, but it is very much a more kind of like traditional uh, Yakuza crime hmm. type thing where just all of the henchmen are just dudes. Uh, Tanaki is still in it and uh, throws knives and has this weird kind of like gross looking face, but he doesn't have that weird like l- uh, vinyl priest outfit thing. He's just hmm. like a dude in a in a suit and a coat. Which is interesting because that's so comic booky. Like, there's so much about it that it's so comic booky. But yeah, it's weird. To... <laughs> it, all those choices are, are like that's all Ishii uh, huh. making those choices and and making them into these characters. Um, 
the I actually do like the manga maybe a little bit more than the movie um, in part because uh, Toshiko has a lot of actual agency in the comic book where she has absolutely none in the movie. She's just kind of along for the ride for the mm-hmm. most part and has yeah. like to the point of having very few lines in the whole movie. Uh, whereas in the manga, uh, Toshiko saves Samahara a couple times and is very proactive and, and has her own kind of like attitudes and is outspoken on some things, which is really neat. Uh, the, and like I said, the, it's, it reminded me a little of like, I don't have a lot of experience with older, like gangster manga, which this was still the nineties, but, uh, go, go 13 is kind of my only ca- uh, touchstone for that, but it's a lot sillier than that, even though it bars a lot of stuff and it's still pretty violent. Uh, but the, uh, Samihada's character is this like huge, tall barrel chested guy with a wacky looking mustache like Dolly and is very, he's, he's like almost Dirk dastardly looking. It's <laughs> real weird, but, uh, it's, it's really interesting. And they do, they do take some plot beats from it. Uh, the, the beginning is largely the same only, um, once again, Toshiko having more agency instead of crashing the car and somehow to driving off with her unconscious, she actually like sees him running and the uh, the other car is in an accident. He's and she like beckons for him to get in her car. Huh. Um, uh, none of the the specific like gangster characters are in it aside from Taniki. the The uncle is still in it and gets brained over the head. Um, that they, they he steals the car, but the beginning when he's like reaching under the the car to look for a key. Instead of the owner coming out, he just finds a key. <laughs> and then uh, the the ending, like Mexican standoff, is actually shot for shot from the manga. Oh, cool! Uh, where like m- mimicking the same kind of close ups on all the weapons and stuff as they're all standing oh, there. Right. But that's actually where the manga cuts off. They it just they're in the standoff, and then it zooms out from the forest they're in. Oh wow! And does and, the manga have this thing where they met beforehand when she was younger? no, not at all. Um, yeah, she, it just has the, the stuff where she's trying to, uh, move out from the hotel to get rid of her, to get, uh, away from her abusive, uh, uncle. Yeah. Oh, it, there is one character that is, uh, uh, notably the same, which is, uh, Mitsuru's sister, whose name I don't remember. She is also. Oh. Mitsuko is her name in the Uh, yeah. Mitsuko. Yeah is also in the manga, but that's about it as far as those kind of characters go. Interesting. And as Alex said, she doesn't have much impact. Yeah. In the movie. Uh, but yeah, it's really interesting how like all those crazy costumes and gimmicks and stuff are all Ishii's creation specifically for the film. Yeah. yeah. I actually have a couple things about that. Um, so, uh, there's, uh, I found, uh, some, some production notes, uh, uh, it says here, among stacks of detailed storyboards and a script in excess of 200 pages, which is a, that is a humongous script, uh, Ishii um, uh, brings his vision of pulp romance and glam action to fruition with uh, Shrek's Command and Peach Girl. After a three-year struggle with rewrites, new storyboards, and financial discrepancies, uh, it finally began principal photography in December of 1997. So the, so he, like, he, uh, he worked very hard on this movie, it seems. Yeah, yeah. Um, he not only... Uh, 
he not only wrote the screenplay, uh, directed it, and edited it, but he was also responsible for the props, music, and costume designs. Uh, he says, uh, he said, I gave it everything I've got. Uh, I worked very hard during post-production to give my film that unique visual quality I like to achieve in my commercials. Uh, unfortunately, this attention is something most Japanese films seem to neglect. So uh, he was also a commercial director, it seems, which uh, didn't see, I didn't see in his IMDb page. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it seems to be a pretty common arc for, mm-hmm. uh, I, at least for Japanese film, if not for all filmmakers, Yeah, uh, to come up like that. And so, so it, it sounds here, like – oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. It says here that uh, his keen eye for detail is uh, recognizable. The colorful cast are always clad in designer originals, a style known on and off the set at Hyper Fashion Gear. And then, uh, and, uh, of course, this mentions the Takeo uh, Kiyuchi designer wear, um, which uh, Asano wore right down to the underwear. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very specifically branded, and they're like a lot of the posters for the film highlight a lot of the clothes, including one of him specifically just in the underwear with a cigarette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen that that poster. Uh, so apparently, his uh, Ishii's directing style also uh, is is very similar to that of an art director uh, because it, when it, when it comes to the props, he personally chose the colors, designs, and fabric for each costume and uh, matched cars and guns to specific characters. So, uh, so basically those, like the weapons and the vehicles were also fashion accessories. Yeah. That attention to detail is pretty amazing. Yeah. This is definitely one that's a sort of like, it seems like it's becoming a category of movies that we, we cover where like the style is almost taking over, over the story, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like the story's fine. It's interesting to follow, but then what you're really struck with is being like, man, this looks great. Or this person has a really unique uh, way of doing things. Yeah. Um, something else I ran across is that the the pre-production for this seemed to be incredibly troubled, but the actual shooting for the film, uh, everybody had a really fun time, and it sounded like it was mostly just like goofing around the set, and everybody liked all the costuming and stuff. So nice. <laughs> it's, it's nice that that was a pleasant experience for everyone. Yeah, it seems like it was a it, it would have been fun to shoot. Which I I do yeah. feel like a lot of the that comes through in a lot of the performances, like the characters seem to be having fun with what they're doing. So, yeah. Cool. And that in the bathroom scene, like, well, actually in any sort of scene that he's in, this is why I like, uh, Tananobu a lot. Uh, he always seems genuinely amused whenever his character is amused. Yeah. That, yeah. that like wry smile that pops up on his face is always so genuine. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, <laughs> it's, <laughs> Uh, which is why I think uh, a big part of why this like performance is so much better than the one in Zatoichi because in Zatoichi he just is like has one emotion of being yeah. like angry all the time and doesn't mm-hmm. really get to do anything and in this he's got a uh, he gets to actually act out being kind of brash and and happy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm much less familiar with him than you two are, and he definitely left much more of a positive impact. Uh, in this movie on me than he did in Zatoichi. Yeah. Um, he, he barely had a part in Zatoichi, honestly. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was, <laughs> yeah. He, he looked cool. <laughs> yeah, sure. He always does. Uh, yeah. I, I wanted to talk a bit more about the posters that Tanuki uh, collects because this, this <laughs> kind of go veers into things that I'm particularly interested in. Go for it. Um, yeah, as you said, uh, they feature uh, Kon Amura, who is uh, affectionately also known as Konchan uh, in Japan, and uh, 
the product he's uh, advertising here is uh, Oronamin C, which is a medicinal health drink with uh, amino acids and vitamins in it. And Amura um, like a, is a well-loved uh, Osaka comedian who, um, like Torisan's Kiyoshi Yatsumi, was afflicted with tuberculosis at a young age and had to have one of his lungs removed, uh, which is an interesting uh, similarity between the two. But uh, unlike Atsumi, he's actually still alive uh, to this day. And um, Umura is um, most well-known in the West for his appearance in the, uh, the Showa Gamera series, um, especially in Gamera vs. Giron, um, which is a popular mystery science theater episode where his character of the sort of like wacky policeman Kondo is uh, misheard and then re-nicknamed Cornjob uh, <laughs> by them. Uh, so if that's familiar to either of you guys or, 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 or some of our listeners, he's that dude. And he's also, um, I don't think he's really, uh, in a lot of other, uh, movies that have had Western releases, but <clears throat> he is in, um, Murder Unincorporated, which is a crime comedy featured in Arrow Video's Nikatsu Diamond Guys Volume 2. And, uh, this, this ad campaign in particular, uh, is, was extremely successful and saved uh, this product, which had been lagging in sales after some lawsuits and bad press. Um, and people do, in fact, collect these posters. And uh, I, I just recently saw a friend posting some photos from a Japanese bar that they were in in Toronto and spotted one of these in the fall or on the on the wall. So um, mm, that's you know nice. yeah, it's a real what, thing that you'll you'll definitely see these uh, posters around. Was uh, it a uh, golden bat or an attack number one? <laughs> uh, no, it had a um, it had a uh, um, oh wait no that was the never mind the the image that I had tweeted an image of this poster on on my Twitter account and had a tensai bakubone, but I think there's I don't know what was if there was anything on it. it. It looked like it had a bunch of rust on it, so I think these are actually made out of like tin or something uh, rather than vinyl. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, uh, the Ogun bat thing. Uh, so, I so Ogun Bato is a very old Japanese superhero that I saw when I was in Kyoto in a um, Kami Shibai. Uh, yeah, and cool. um, yeah, it was it was neat. And um, he's basically a uh, he's got a skull like a golden skull, and he's got a cape, um, and apparently. Uh, he appeared on ads for cigarettes. Like there was a golden bat <laughs> brand cigarette. Uh, <laughs> and I think that's, and I, and I think that's funny when, when, yeah, when Tom Hanuki mentioned, uh, Ogon Bato, I was like, Oh, I wonder if it has anything to do with the, the character. And it does. Um, yeah. Attack number one is a volleyball manga. So I, I assume they were just using popular manga, pop culture yeah. type stuff. Yeah. 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 And they did mention there's a really great uh, old black and white um, golden bat movie that maybe we'll cover sometime. It has a young Sonny Chiba in it. Oh, wow. It looks really cool. It's great. Yeah. Let's put that on the list. Actually, that sounds awesome. (laughs) Um, Okay. Uh, You guys. uh, Well, we talked about the bathroom scene at length, but did you guys have any other uh, scenes that you liked enjoyed? I wanted to talk about the scene that is right after the opening credits, uh, where it's the gangsters sitting in the car exchanging stories of their childhoods. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's it, it's a really great scene. They all have so, sort of similar experiences of parents who are involved with drugs or doing drugs themselves, and there's a very poignant moment um, where they're all talking about reading about busts in the paper and how they always feel 
you know, feel bad for the kids in the stories because, you know, and what's kind of unsaid is that it's because they are the those kids, you know. And um I like this like very kind of chill, quiet moment after that frenetic opening um as a way to sort of calm down and and start the movie off on a sort of like um quieter note that it can kind of ramp back up to the craziness that ensues. But it's also like a really human moment and otherwise pretty cartoonish <laughs> extreme movie. And, uh, you know, it, it, it gives a feeling of depth uh, to the whole thing to kind of start out this way. Yeah. Uh, Scott? Yeah, there's a, a surprising amount of pathos in that. Uh, my favorite part of the movie is probably uh, Yamada's shootout. Uh, just the, mm. the whole setup of that, of like him imagining this, this like badass scene of him taking everybody out and then it flashing back to before and he's about to go out. And as soon as he opens the door and is just flooded with white light, I'm like, oh no, I know where this is going. Uh, <laughs> but instead of him just like walking out and getting murdered immediately, it it goes into that like crazy multi-directional shootout and, and using those same like really flat blocked shots that it's been using in the hotel the whole time but uh, cutting back and forth between them. And it reminds me of the scene in Sunatine, the shootout there where everybody is just kind of standing there dispassionately shooting their guns repeatedly. Yeah. Uh, it's like that only with like 30% uh, police squad or naked gun, because <laughs> there's like a combination of people just kind of dispassionately shooting, but also a lot of people doing like, kind of silly character stuff and it goes on for way too long and i just love how like silly that scene is it's it's a really brilliant piece of like action comedy yeah that's really great that that also brings me back to a thing that um we kind of glossed over that i wanted to mention is on top of the tarantino uh influence uh you did also mention scott that there was some sort of like twin peaks-esque influence yeah. and i definitely think that hotel lobby like looks very Twin Peaks. Yeah, I started watching Twin Peaks uh, very recently, and uh, I definitely saw the similarities there, uh, the atmosphere especially. Hmm. Yeah, and I would go as far to, like Twin Peaks, and also even some like Stanley Kubrick Shining kind of like. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, cinematography there. It's really fascinating. Nobody else was at that hotel. Oh, absolutely not. It looked just like in an abandoned, rundown, forgotten place. It was really weird. There was that one old lady that found the mailbox. Oh yeah. When she was leaving, and I had no idea what that scene was about either. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of non sequitur stuff, or at the very least, to me, <laughs> that's what it seemed like. So, uh, yeah. Um, well, cool. I guess uh, if you guys don't have anything else to say, well, did you have a favorite part? Oh yes. Uh, well, I mean, aside <laughs> aside from the bathroom scene, which, like I said, we talked about at length. I I love that scene. Uh, um, I, I also like, uh, I also like the bit where Yamada is talking to the guy who's fishing. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. That's a, a really nice scene. It helps humanize Yamada cause it's just like dudes hanging out. Yeah. Seems I think neat. so in regards to what you said earlier about Joey, about Yamada, about Yamada's homosexuality, um, and, and like that being what his character is, I think I think the that's not the I think the reason he might actually wear is maybe his character's on the spectrum a little bit like mm. it because he's not like it's not just he's like 
I don't know. It's he seems a little. Yeah, but it, the, it's hard the to tell. The problem I have like is, a... is having the two kind of associated with one another. Uh, yeah. And, and looking at when the movie came out, like I don't know the sensitivities to either of those things were at a place in like the the late '90s that it's something somebody would have thought about before putting in a character like that. Actually, that's true. Yeah, this is an <laughs> this is before the the millennium. So I, I guess, uh, yeah. Uh, you're, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing I don't to- entirely condemn it for, but it it is not. You know, makes me feel squiggy. Yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not defending it in any way. <laughs> yeah, I, no, no, no. It I, just I, I it just made me think when I was watching it because I was like, "What's the deal? Like, what what's yeah. what's happening with this character?" Yeah, but it's funny because he's the most fleshed out character I think out of everybody. Him and maybe Sawada. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and I think that that scene with the. Uh, where he's sitting on the docks. Like there, there are some slow scenes like that. And the one where they're in the car talking about their, the, the bus and everything, those slow scenes work for me because they have a point and they're interesting and things are going on, even though they're, they're slowly paced. Right. I, yeah. I think it's the, the scenes that like, that uh, maybe the scene that Joey mentioned, the, where the gang is just kind of sitting around talking about whatever, like, mm-hmm. Those might be the like I like those scenes, but I think that they're oddly placed, and they yeah. don't. There's no payoff to them. I guess hmm. that's is that what you is that what you mean, Scott? Or yeah, yeah, just like the I'm I'm just kind of like why is this here? It's slowing down. Anything else going on in the movie? I see. Okay, <clears throat> yeah, because those are the only other scenes that I could actually think of that like. Like, you know, those scenes that generally don't have payoff, but but I think they help to establish uh, the world or mm-hmm. the type of people who are in this movie. Like, oh, these guys are, are gang members, but hey, they had childhood just like you did, <laughs> and mm-hmm. they're, they're just like you and me, in a way. <laughs> this guy collects fucking posters. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, I, I will say that while I had a lot of issues with this movie, like I said, there are a, a lot of things I still like inside of it. And I like other works that Ishii has done. So I'm looking forward to, uh, cause this is still really early in his career. I'm looking forward to other, other live action stuff. Once he got kind of some, some seasoning under his belt. So like uh, taste of tea and funky forest should be interesting. Check out. Yeah. yeah. No, for sure. Uh, all right. Um, Scott, what do we have coming up next month? Uh, so next month is October, and for the month of Halloween, uh, we will be covering uh, ni- uh, Masaki Kobayashi's 1964 film Kwaidan, which is a uh, ghost story anthology uh, nominated for an Academy Award and a bunch of other stuff, and I am super excited to cover it. Nice. Well, very cool. Very yeah, cool. I'm excited to see it. All right, well... Uh, That'll do it for this month's episode. Um, you can find me, of course, on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, where have you, uh, at dude exclamation, all one word. Uh, and occasionally you can find me on the One Piece podcast. Um, we went to Otakon in August, and we have a cool live panel that we recorded. And if you subscribe to our Patreon, uh, you can get the film gold commentary that we recorded that weekend as well. Uh, Scott? Uh, I am Vriska Chat on Twitter, V-R-I-S-K-A-C-H-A-T. 
I don't have much going on right now. At the end of September, I will be going to Anime Weekend Atlanta. Uh, if you want to say hi there, I will probably be in all of the old man anime panels. Uh, I, <laughs> I'll probably tweet out like what I'm going to uh, just for friends. But if any fans of the show happen to be there, come say hi. I will be the gigantic blonde guy with long hair. <laughs> yeah, just look for a panel that's run by Dave Merrill and you'll know that we'll be in there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, as for me, um, uh, the weekend or two weeks, I think before that, uh, I'll be at SPX, the small press expo, uh, September 16th through 17th in Bethesda, Maryland, uh, as will Alex, I think, uh, yeah, I'll be there attending in attendance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will be at a table. Uh, you can find me at K 13 or thereabouts, like some friends and I usually share a block of tables. So just come to K 13 and you'll find me. Um, at SBX, I'll be debuting a new mini comic called Haunt and Release, which is a couple short stories from the world of Ghost Hog, which is my uh, next graphic novel that I'm working on right now. And I will also have the uh, first copies of the Merman Book 3 Deep Dive Softcover. Uh, Merman is a graphic novel series I do, um, or I did, I suppose. Uh, volume 5 is the final volume and came out this year, and uh, the softcovers for those have just started to come out. Uh, book three in particular was nominated for an Eisner Award and won a Georgia Book Award. So it's a, an exciting volume to have now out in, in hardcover and softcover. Um, and as far as like social media goes, you can find me at Joey Weiser on Twitter or joeyweiser.tumblr.com. Uh, I talk a lot about uh, Japanese movies and stuff as well as my career and other other anything else that might pop into my head at the moment. Um as for the show, uh, it is also on Twitter at Toho Yaro, or there's a Toho Yaro Facebook page that you can like, uh, where we uh, announce movies uh, that we're going to be covering and, and announce when the next episode drops. And on the Twitter account in particular, uh, we try to retweet stuff about uh, movie news, new releases, and things like that that we think are interesting. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can email us tohoyaro at gmail.com and leave a uh, review and rating and, and stuff on iTunes or Apple podcast or what, what have you. And, uh, yeah. Great. Cool. Well, that about does it for this month's episode. We'll see you next month. Bye-bye everybody. Bye. Bye. Uh, one of my favorite characters in the movie, <laughs> Dog. Uh, <laughs>